0: This is the PropTech VC podcast. We give you unique insights into how innovative technologies are disrupting real estate. We interview top entrepreneurs, investors, and knowledgeable experts to share the inside scoop in this fast-moving industry. It's hosted by leading PropTech VC, Zane Jaffer. Let's dive into today's content.
1: On today's PropTech VC podcast, we have a legend, David Selinger, one of the co-founders of Redfin, and now a founder at Deep Sentinel. And I actually invested in David's recent startup, Deep Sentinel, through my family office. So David, it's great to have you, how are you doing?
0: So stoked to be here right now. Uh, yeah, I, I'm really excited to have you as an investor. Uh, the, the ability to kind of reach out and expand back into a vertical that I love, real estate, is so exciting and, and uh, I'm, I'm having a blast with it.
1: David, tell us a bit about your journey. How how did you go about becoming uh, an entrepreneur and also how did that journey eventually lead you to where you are now running Deep Sentinel?
0: Sure, so I mean, becoming an entrepreneur was was really, I don't know, an accident, it was a function of of The world at the time and, and where I was. So I grew up in a really small town in southern Oregon uh, called Grants Pass. I actually, grew up in a in a suburb of Grants Pass called Merlin. Total population around 300, 350 people, right? So so the path wasn't super direct in that regard. But I uh, I then got a chance to go to Stanford, where which is where I think my eyes just got blown open, right? I mean, not like. The, the gradual opening. I mean, I remember I started at Stanford in 1996 and that was the heyday of Netscape. And uh, and so I remember one of the first things I did was walk the halls of Netscape. Not because not I was an employee, but just because Netscape was like the thing. Like you installed, you got your computer, you got to, to college, and then you got this high speed internet in your room, which was just like all by itself mind blown, right? So I could watch things like South Park and, and, and the, the Brian Boitano uh, episode of South Park in my room. And so, and this will actually pivot into Deep Sentinel a little bit. Netscape was just down the street. It was in, in Mountain View. So like whatever, five, 10 minutes driving. So I borrowed my friend's car and then I tailgated people into the Netscape building. And for those of you that aren't familiar with the term tailgating, that is when an employee who looks like they know what they're doing, walks into a door that has a key card access, you kind of look to the side look like you know what you're doing talking to your hand as if you have a cell phone because I was a college kid I couldn't afford a cell phone but I looked like I knew what I was doing and I just walked into the building and so my first experience with becoming an entrepreneur and and like the tech world was frankly breaking into Netscape illegally and just walking around and seeing what people did Uh, and it was just invigorating it was this energy of technology and and the the world is your oyster and anything could happen and the world's first webcam was was in the, in the Netscape building. Uh, it was on a, a, I think it was a fish tank, right? And um, it turns out actually fast forward to my career at Amazon, one of my best friends and coworkers there is this guy named Russell Dicker. His dad was one of the senior executives at Netscape and he was the one that set up the that webcam that I had kind of come across. But I But I just kind of, I walked around and I just, Try to capture the energy. I looked into conference rooms. I looked at what people were working on. They were, you know, looking at these CRT monitors and banging away and, and writing code and and creating the internet uh, for all intents and purposes. And I I fell in love. I just I wanted to be a part of that story. So that was that was really the moment that I decided I wanted to become an, an entrepreneur.
1: So you were studying at Stanford. How how did you make that leap? Did you did you uh, drop out like everyone else? Or, or you know, you stuck by and you you took a careful path. It sounds like Amazon was one of the stepping stones.
0: No, I I dropped out right. Like just, I mean, I I, uh, I interned at a company called Flycast, and that was even further interesting to me. Uh, they went public while I was an intern, and so I started working there at nights while I was uh, still going to Stanford. And then I was like, all right, I'm, I need to. I need to really dig in and become part of this. So, at the beginning of my junior year, I dropped out.
1: How much year was this?
0: This was 1998.
1: Ouch, 1998. Um, okay, I'm curious to hear how the next two years went.
0: Yeah, so I I dropped out. I joined like three startups over the course of the next couple of uh, of, of months. I was really kind of your traditional startup whore, you know, hopping from place to place. I went to uh, a Flycast full-time for a bit. I went to a company called the Dolores Group, which was a bunch of MBAs out of Stanford, which is kind of the dream at the time. If you could get MBAs from Stanford, you could raise money, and sure enough, we did. We raised money from like Heidi Roizen and all the super amazing people at that time, and then uh, but like a group of MBAs frequently does do, it had a lot of dreams and a lot of ambition and, and, and ideas and, and not that much execution, unfortunately. And I learned the value of execution at that company. And then I went back to a company that was started by a bunch of my friends called Flycast. And that was a mobile application layer game, uh, sorry, mobile application layer company doing what was called ASP, uh, cloud pr- compute in uh, the internet for multiple customers. And it, what eventually became SaaS. Was a little bit too early on mobile. Was a little bit too early on SaaS, but really gave me the idea for and then that flavor for what hyper growth could look like. Um, as you mentioned, I did end up going back to Stanford uh, to go to Amazon. I finished my degree right after the dot com crashed. Um, I actually joined. Did you uh, did you
1: finish it because of the dot com crash, where you know you realized let you go back to school and get a. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> I don't want to a golden parachute, but a backup plan.
0: No, uh, I actually worked full-time while I was at school too. Um, I just, it, it felt like the right time to do it because the opportunity cost externally was lower because I'd already, I, I'd actually joined a company called Dutch Brothers, which is a coffee company. It's a traditional coffee company. Uh, it's an awesome one. If you don't know Dutch Brothers, like take a look. You can watch some cool stuff about the CEO who was on Undercover Boss a few years ago. It is a sick company. It was started in my my hometown of Grants Pass. And I was friends with the CEO, so I asked him if I could become a partner and take over the technology. And we figured out this this awesome deal where I got to be a part of that business and go back to Stanford and help them explore the internet and growth and stuff like that. Um, interestingly enough, that and you know, you asked, is it just a golden parachute? And the answer is like absolutely not. Let me tell you why. I busted tail while I was doing that, and. We at Dutch Brothers, at this like hyper non-tech company that slings coffee from the coolest baristas on the West Coast, we started our e-commerce site in 2001 and this is right when everyone else is looking for a golden parachute every other company was pulling back their marketing spend and that's simultaneous that was contemporaneous with google launching the world's most scalable scalable cost effective like amazing advertising platform adwords and so i actually discovered adwords at dutch bros and i was Paying a dollar dollars a lead for people to buy five hundred dollar coffee makers and converting them at like fifty percent, making hundreds of dollars hand over fist. And um, so, so like it sounds like the story of a golden parachute, but it, you know, in a lot of ways, like when you when you peel back the the onion, it was not. I was I was leaning in in every possible way. I was it's, and, and, and I was leaning into Dutch Bros. I was leaning into to Stanford. It was so awesome to be there. I was taking 20 units a quarter. I was meeting every Nobel laureate that Stanford had to offer. Like I was, I was, 110%. 110%. And and you know, if there's kind of a theme of my life, if you did a reference check on me of anyone with whom I've ever worked with at any point in my life since I was six, intense would probably be the first word that comes out of any of their mouths. Whether they like me or hate me, love me, you know, or, or, or just tolerated me, intense. And so I was doing this at Dutch Bros. I actually had a nonprofit I was running at the time, and I was like a hundred percent all in at Stanford. And um and 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 how I'll tie this to Amazon. Um Amazon had on campus interviews and so I was I was doing fine. I was making enough money that I was great. I'd already made a bunch of money in the dot com. I was driving around in an M3 all over campus. I thought I was the hottest little you know punk in the universe. Um, and uh, and so I went to this Amazon interview and I'm sitting across from this guy named Neil Roseman, he's the he's the VP of kind of Consumer at the time. I'm like, yeah, you know, Amazon seems kinda cool, but I kinda got this other thing going that's it's way sweeter. And he's like, Well, what do you do? And I was like, Well, why check this out? What I do is I go on Google and I buy AdWords for fifty cents to a dollar fifty and I find these people all over the country that are looking for these niche products uh, in the coffee space where my margin's hundreds of dollars and I'm converting it 50% because there's nowhere else they can buy this stuff. And so I'm basically paying $3 for a customer, making 150 bucks a pop and just doing that hand over fist. And Neil's eyes kind of light up and he's like, leans across the table and he goes, and I kept talking. I I was just talking, I was so full of myself. And he goes, go back, go back to those numbers again. You acquire a customer for between $1.50 and $3, and you sell them something for 500 bucks and you put 100, 150 bucks in your pocket. I was like, yeah, all day. <laughs> and, uh, and that interview became the, the business justification for a project that became Orabamba, which became the very first $100 million customer of Google. And I joined Amazon and ran their R&D department. I didn't end up running that project, interestingly enough. My friend Blake Scholl, uh, who's now the CEO of Boom Supersonic, if you know that company, Um, in fact, right behind me, for those of you that are watching the video, this thing right here is a model of the Boom Supersonic plane right behind me. Uh, So uh, Blake ended up running that project and that was the first hundred million dollar annual spend that Google had ever achieved on AdWords. So this little tiny, again, like just a long answer to question about the golden parachute, but this little tiny coffee company in Oregon ended up changing the trajectory of Amazon and Google. How's about them apples?
1: That's crazy. And how, how, how did you jump from that to uh, Redfin and deep Sentinel? Sure. So,
0: um, my research at Stanford was in AI. Uh, And in in robotics and data and I just I've always loved data and, and and AI and While I was at Amazon, I decided I wanted to buy a house and I had that quintessential entrepreneur moment where I realized Holy smokes. This market is so horked. And the moment that I had that, that really kind of told me that my, my real estate agent, who was a friend of a friend, typical kind of way of finding a real estate agent sitting across the table from me at a coffee shop, trying to convince me to buy this house. And there was, it was a, it was a horrible buy. Let me just set that up. Like It was the wrong price. All the comparables were the wrong direction. Uh, It was a bad house. It wasn't a fit for what I wanted. It was slightly outside of my price range and it was slightly outside of the neighborhood I wanted to live in, right? Like all check boxes had a big red X in them instead of a check mark, right? And I realized I'm sitting across the table from someone whose only interest is to get me to buy. He makes 3% on this transaction if I buy the wrong house as long as I buy it with him. And his biggest risk isn't that I buy the wrong house. That's my biggest risk. His biggest risk is I realize that he's a buffoon and an idiot and I buy my house with someone else. And he, with all respect to him, uh, had no education in real estate, understood nothing about math, and was fundamentally unsophisticated as it came to finance. So here I was getting advice on this incredibly important purchase from a fundamentally unqualified person whose only incentive was to sell me something that I didn't want. Wow, that's that was like that was my entrepreneur moment. And I like, I, I, think I literally got up and I just walked out uh, from there. I went and I found some guys that were working on the problem. This was Davey e. Rocker and Michael Doherty. Uh, they were related to some of my friends from Stanford and, uh, you know, still at Amazon. But I, I, I learned that they had had this same realization that this market was forked. And that the only advantage that this guy had this real estate agent i had was the fact that he had access to the mls which gave him sales comp data and i was like this is horrible that's public record and and i remember this moment sitting down with michael and david and they were like yeah it's public record, and no one gets access to it. That's what we need to change. And I was like, I love these guys. These guys are these guys are passionate about this. I'm pissed off, and they're passionate. That's a good match. And um, and so they had been trying to build this app, like a Windows app, to fix this problem. And Michael had this like totally crazy, cracked out vision of let's take all the interactivity you can have on a Windows desktop app, and let's put that on the web. And I was like, Michael, you're crazy. There's no way you can do that. I mean, you can't have interactive buttons and stuff like that. Like this is before web 2.0, by the way, right? Like this is, this truly was a crazy idea.